Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, thank you for being here uh, at Hilton Head Island Community Church. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. Uh, I'm glad that you are here uh, this morning worshiping uh, with us. Uh, we are in an exciting uh, series and an exciting time uh, here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Uh, throughout the summer, as you just saw, uh, we are uh, in a series that we have entitled uh, Life in the Minors. And so uh, we did an introductory message a few weeks ago, and uh, we're kind of picking things up today. Uh, how many of you were here for Father's Day a few weeks ago? If you were here for Father's Day, I was in Belize for Father's Day, and I asked my good friend Jared McElroy to speak on Father's Day, and he brought a great message. And I just want to thank him. He's right down here. And uh, Jared, thank you so much, man. Heard a lot of great things uh, about how God used you, and so thank you so much for that. And um, last week we had communion together and uh, celebrated around the Lord's table, and today we pick things back up with life in the minors. Uh, in our home right now, we have a, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and a 10-year-old little girl and a 7-year-old little boy, Sydney and Sean. And in our home, a few years ago, when they were, you know, around, I guess, uh, three years old and, and five or six years old, kind of in that, in that age range, uh, we began to um, try to instill um, a number of concepts and a number of principles. But one of the principles that we tried to instill in our children um, was this idea of when mom and dad say to do something, you do it the first time. And so we have this phrase, and we say it in our house. Um, parents, you get this, don't you? I mean, you really do. Um, so we say, you know, um, Sydney and Sean, when mom and dad say to do something, you do it the first time. And so what's happened is, is over the years, um, they've become receptive, really not to the principle, but to the statement. And so what will happen is we'll say something like, hey, uh, you know, mom and dad, when we say something, you do it, and they'll finish the sentence the first time even though it's been like 10 times that we've asked them to do whatever it is we're asking them to do. And this happened last night. It was great. We had a long day. It was a fun day yesterday. And uh, we came home, and they were tired. And Sean, who's my, my young guy, um, he, uh, he needed to clean out his guinea pig crate. And if you know about guinea pigs, after a few days, it gets a little ripe, right? The crate, the crate gets a little ripe. And so his guinea pig's name is Chunk. And so I said, hey, buddy, he was playing in his room, and I said, hey, buddy, I need you to come outside on the porch, because there's no way we're cleaning that in the house. Um, so come on out on the porch, and it's time to clean out Chunk's crate. And you know what I got? Nothing. In fact, I heard him in his room, not Chunk, but Sean, um, continuing to play with the toys he was playing with. So I thought, well, it's been a long day. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's finishing up what he's doing. Maybe he didn't hear me, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So I let a few minutes go by. And I, I kind of went around the corner, and, hey, hey, Sean, buddy, um, I already said this, time to come outside and clean Chunk's crate. And you know what I got the second time? The same thing I got the first time, Nothing. And so I do what parents do when you have to say something three times. I got louder. And I say, hey, Sean, it's time to come out and clean Chunk's crate. And he came around the corner. And I said, hey, buddy, did you hear me? You know, did you hear me? He goes, yeah, I heard you. And I said, what do we say, man, when mom and dad ask you to do something? And he sure enough finished the statement, you do it the first time. And we go through this over and over again, and we're doing such a great job instilling this in our kids in my parenting conferences next week. I'm just kidding. Um, so we're trying to instill in their life this concept of listening and obeying the first time. 
But you know what? Cynthia and I have so many moments in our home. We have so many times in our home when we think, oh my goodness, we are being so inconsistent with this. And if you're a parent, you know this. If you are a teacher, you probably understand this. If you're in a position where you have someone who kind of comes under your authority and you want them to listen and obey the first time, yet when you in your spiritual life know God is telling you to do something and you disobey and you just let it go and you keep playing with your toys in your room because that's a lot more fun than what God is asking you to do, we become really inconsistent, don't we, as people? You see, because just like me as a parent, just like you as a parent, just like some of you who are teachers, some of you who are employers, you want the people who come kind of under your authority, you want them to listen and you want them to obey. The first time, God wants that and he desires that from us. And you know, it really doesn't matter where you are on your faith journey, whether you're skeptical and maybe questioning or wondering, and you walked in today and your life has just been out of control and this is the first time you're in church in a long time, or whether you've been a God follower or Christ follower for a long time, God is calling each one of us to come into obedience to him. And so if you're a skeptic, maybe that thing that like is your obedience issue is really investigating God and, and understanding or maybe finally saying yes to him and finally trusting in him for salvation. Or maybe you're here today and that thing that he is calling you to do is a new career path. If you're someone who's young in here and uh, you know, you're, you're getting ready to embark on the rest of your life, maybe you have kind of sensed or discerned that God is calling you in a specific direction. Or maybe you're like, uh, you know, I was years ago, and you kind of had a, a thing that you thought you were doing, and it began to change. But you knew that it was God calling you to change. Maybe it's a relationship that you're currently in, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has said, you have got to get out of that relationship. And you just keep playing in your room with your toys. Because what you're doing is a lot more fun than what God is calling you to do. He wants us to listen, and he wants us to obey. So today, before we dive into his word and take a look at this minor prophet that we're going to study today, before we dive in, I want to do something maybe a little bit different today. I just want us to pause for a moment. And I'm going to give you a moment just to quietly, in your heart, silently talk to God. And the question that I want you to ask over the course of these next 30 seconds or so is I, I just want you to ask God, what is the area of my life right now where I'm being disobedient? What's the area of my life right now that I can identify that, God, I know you want me to do A, and I'm really doing B? Because, you know, we as parents understand this. You as teachers understand this. Delayed, disobedience, or delayed obedience really is disobedience, isn't it? Delayed obedience is really disobedience. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and bow your head this morning. And let's just take a moment and allow God's Spirit to investigate our lives. Allow Him to speak into that area where maybe you've gotten off track or maybe you haven't followed what He wants and you know it. Ask Him to point that out and figure out what that is over these next 
few moments together. God, help us in this moment, before we even open up your word, to be reminded of that area in our life where we have delayed doing what you are asking us to do. Maybe it's in the area of money or relationship or habit or lifestyle, or maybe it's our calling or our purpose or our mission. And Father God, I pray that you would investigate our lives and point that out here over the next few moments. God, I pray that you would, in this area that we've identified, this area that maybe you've pointed out, God, I pray that today, as we take a look at this one character from the Old Testament and his story, his autobiography, his narrative, God, I pray that you would help us to keep that area of disobedience or delayed obedience in mind in our minds. And God, I pray that you, we, you would allow us to remain open to your leading in that area. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we began this brand new series called Life in the Minors. And in this particular series, we are going to be walking through four of the 12 minor prophets. Now, um, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you know the minor prophets, you may know who they are, and you may have heard of them. But this particular passage of Scripture, right at the end of the Old Testament, the Bible's broken up into two Testaments. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, and Jesus, the birth of Christ, kind of is the dividing line of those. In the Old Testament, there are 12 books that lead up to the time when Jesus was born in the New Testament. And in this series called Life in the Minors, we're going to be taking a look at, at four of these obscure men that God used to speak to his people. And in this particular uh, series, we're going to be taking a look at these men because they are obscure. Um, they're a little bit like a minor league baseball player. They may come from towns that we don't know. They might uh, really have skills that we don't recognize. Um, but these men all the way back a thousand years, roughly a thousand years before Jesus was born, um, God began using these men to speak to God's people and to the enemies of God's people. And so we're going to be taking a look at uh, four of these men, and uh, we're going to be taking a look today at a man by the name of Jonah, and then Micah and Zephaniah and Zechariah. And part of the reason that I wanted to do this series was to introduce you to a section of the Bible that most of us overlook. I mean, we can kind of get around our, our minds and our, our hearts around the creation story, you know, Genesis, and we love Psalms and Proverbs, and at that point, we just kind of want to fast forward to Jesus' birth, don't we? Let's go to Matthew and take a look at Jesus' birth. And so I wanted to, to pause here this summer and take a look at a, a portion of Scripture that not many uh, people really begin investigating. And so I want to challenge you also to go home and the week after uh, read the passage that, uh, or that book that we have just read. Most of them are four or five chapters in length. That's why they're called minors, because they are short books and they're easy reads. And so today we consider the prophet 
Jonah. Now, these prophets were appointed by God to deliver God's message to God's people, and in some case, God's uh, people's enemies. Now, this particular uh, person in this particular book probably is the most familiar of all the minor prophets. I mean, you probably have heard the story of Jonah. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard of or you know of the story of Jonah, this guy that somehow got out of a boat and a giant fish swallowed him. And you know the story of Jonah. You may have heard bits and pieces of the story of Jonah, perhaps that you haven't. So allow me just for a moment to give you a little bit of historical background so that you can understand the context of why this book was written in the time frame that it was written. And so what has happened is, is that uh, the, the nation of Israel, God's people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the generations that have come after them, they wandered in the land in Mount, and the Sinai Peninsula for all these, this time, these 40 years. They've come in, and God has given them the promised land. And as time went on, God's people, the Hebrew people or the Jewish people or what was called the nation of Israel at the time, they cried out to God and they said, God, we need a leader. We want to be like all the other nations around us. We need a king. And God gave them their first king. And their first king's name was Saul. And then the second king's name was David. A lot of you know about David, the shepherd uh, who killed uh, Goliath. And so you have Saul, and then you have David. And then David's son was the third king of Israel, and his name was Solomon. And if you really take a look at all those passages and kings uh, uh, all the way back in the Old Testament about the nation of Israel, it really appears like this whole idea of God's people being led by a king was going to be a really great thing. It looked like it was going to be successful until Solomon came along. And for some reason why Solomon came along, there's actually a lot of reasons why, but when Solomon came along, Twelve, the 12 tribes of Israel, these sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, they began to get divided on what they believed needed to happen. And so 10 of these 12 tribes decided that they would break away from the original because they had a disagreement over who should be king. And so these 10 tribes moved up north and established the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. And the two remaining tribes remained in the south, and that was an area, or that was um, the, the southern kingdom. And they called themselves Judah after one of those two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And so we see at this point in time, a thousand years before Jesus comes along, that the whole nation of Israel was really divided. It was split into two. And the northern kingdom had their kings, and the southern kingdom had their kings. And I want you to capture this, because it's really important to understand this. During that period of time, in the nation of Israel, both kingdoms, the northern and southern kingdom, these kings, for the most part, were terrible men. They were awful men. And the nations that surrounded them were led by horrible, evil men. And so God, here's what God was doing. God was using these men called prophets to speak God's truth to the people during that day and time. And so he used this man, Jonah, to speak a message to one of God's enemies. And as we're going to see, or one of God's people's enemies, as, as we'll see in these other prophets, we can learn a lot from what the prophet said, but this prophet's different. We can learn a lot more from the life of Jonah than we can from what he said. We can learn a ton from Jonah based on what happened 
in his life. And so the writing that we're going to be taking a look at today, and we're going to survey all four chapters and take a look in depth at a couple portions of it, is really an autobiography. It's a narrative of Jonah. He's writing about himself, about his struggle with obedience. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Jonah. If you don't, the words are going to be on the screens. The verses will be on the screens. Let's begin at the beginning, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Take a look at this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, when you read that, does that make sense to you? I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it? There's not much ambiguity there. Now the word of the Lord came up, and God said to Jonah, Arise, get up, Jonah, go to Nineveh, the great city, he even describes it, and call out against it, the people that live there, for their evil has come upon me. And so for Jonah, when he heard this word from God, it wasn't that it was unclear. It was that it scared him. You see, Nineveh was this great and powerful city in the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians hated the Jewish people. They hated the Jewish people. They were evil, evil people. And so Jonah was called by God to go to the great city, the capital city of Assyria called Nineveh, and to preach out against them. This would have been like you and me during our period of time in our country, like God saying to you or to me, I want you to go overseas and go to the Taliban, and I want you to preach a message of repentance to the Taliban. <laughs> sure, sign me up, God. I'm ready for that. That sounds like fun. That wouldn't be our response, would it? I mean, we probably would second guess that. We'd probably question that. But it was God's call on Jonah's life for him to go to his enemy and preach this message. And it's the first lesson, it's the first phase of Jonah's life that we can learn from. It's the call. And we can learn that being obedient may require us to do something very uncomfortable. You see, being obedient to what God is telling us to do may require us to get way out of our comfort zone. It may require us to do things that we don't naturally do or that we don't want to do. And so God's call on our life, whether it is a call for purpose or whether it's a call for what our vocation is or whether it's an area that maybe you've just identified over those few minutes that we took some time, a few seconds that we took some time to pray, or maybe you've known for a long time what that area of obedience is. You see, God's call is not always comfortable for us. What he wants us to do, that area of obedience, isn't always an area of comfort. There may be times when it is. There may be times when you hear from God or you look at his word and go, hey, I got that. That's easy. I can do that, but I want you to hear something this morning. The true test of obedience and faithfulness to God is not when it's easy, but when it's uncomfortable. The true test of our commitment to what he is calling us to do and what he is calling you to do in your life is not when he asks us to do something that's easy. It's when he asks us to do something that's uncomfortable. It's when he tells us that we need to make this change in our life to get out of this relationship for me to not spend this money on this thing 
or for some of you, it may be to go to do this thing in your life. Last Saturday night, I came back with 16 people from Belize. We were on mission in Belize in a little village called San Marcos, representing Hilton Head Island Community Church and God. And those 16 people, it was the best team I've ever taken on a missions trip ever, they understood that they would be called into something uncomfortable, and they went for it with gusto. They knew that they were called to do something for a few weeks that was uncomfortable I want you to hear something this morning. As much as God loves you, as much as he is merciful to you in that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins, as much as he loves and cares for his children, if he asks you to do something, he is not concerned with your level of comfort. He's not. And I realize for some of you, that's not what you wanted to hear when you came into church today. But it's true. Because he's God, and we're not. It's our true test of obedience. God may call you to do something that is uncomfortable, and our true test of obedience is whether or not we are going to obey and when we are going to obey. The second phase of Jonah's life is highlighted in the very next verse. Take a look at it. The very next verse, verse 3 of chapter 1, but Jonah rose to flee Flee. That's not the little animal that exists on dogs. This is Jonah going in a different direction. He flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went on board to go to them, the sailors, to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, I want to stop for a moment. God calls him to go to his enemy, And to preach a very difficult message. And Jonah freaks out. He wigs out. And he goes in the opposite direction. We know from historians and we know from archaeologists and we know from theologians that Tarsus was in a complete opposite direction of Nineveh. Take a look at at this map. There's Jonah in Joppa. You can see that here on the map. He's in Joppa. He's on the Mediterranean coast, not too far from, from Jerusalem. And God calls him to go to Nineveh, which is about 700 miles away. Jonah goes to a port city and pays money to go in the opposite direction. Get this, 2,200 miles in the opposite direction. This dude is going to Spain, not Nineveh. He's wanting Barcelona. He's not wanting his enemies. And he pays money to go completely in the opposite direction. Historians and theologians tell us that where where it was located, where Tarsus is located, is on the other side of the Gibraltar Straits in the area of Spain. Which in that day and age was as far as you could go in the known world. You see, when God called him to do what was uncomfortable, man, he went completely absolutely, well, he tried to, as far as he could go physically in the opposite direction. And we look at Jonah, and we scoff, and we ridicule, and our tendency is to judge. But you know what? We do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing when we have delayed obedience or when we have outright disobedience. We do the same thing. This would be like you being called to New York City 
from Hilton Head because New York City is roughly 700 miles away and God calls you there and you decide, no, I'm going to go to L.A., 2,200 miles in the opposite direction. We do the same thing when we delay obedience. We do the same thing when we disobey. And Jonah even paid to do it. He paid money to get on this ship to go in the opposite direction of God. Our pastor back in Atlanta used to say this often. He'd say, disobedience to God will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life when unfortunately I've experienced that. Because I didn't obey God the first time. I didn't listen to him the first time time. And so the second phase of Jonah's life is the flight. When we are focused on our external circumstances, being obedient can sometimes be overwhelming, so much so that we will do the opposite of what God's calling us to do. I remember when God called Cynthia and I to New York City in 2005 to help our friends with a church start. Four months earlier, we happened to be in New York City with some of our friends. We would go there occasionally just for fun, a little uh, trip. And we were there in December of 2004. And I said this out loud to my wife, Cynthia, and two people that were in the cab in December of 2004. I, I love visiting here, but I would never, ever live here. And four months later, God began to call us to live in New York City for what would end up being two years God wants us to do what he is asking us to do in that second phase of Jonah's life shows us that when we focus on ourselves, we can get overwhelmed with what God is asking us to do. But, but, God is God. And he was going to use Jonah and Jonah's life. Take a look at verse 4. We're going to take a look at a, a good long passage here. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind. Now, okay, Jonah's on the ship. He's with these other sailors. He's going in the opposite direction that God's leading him to. And God, I want you to see that, but the Lord, God, hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the seas, so, on the seas, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, that's sailors, then the mariners were afraid. And each one of them cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, I love this, this is awesome. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. He had gone down into the inner part of the ship and he had lain down and he was what? Fast asleep. <laughs> I mean, he is really concerned about what God is calling him to do in this moment, isn't he? He's asleep down in the ship. During the storm, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean? You sleeper, arise, call to your God. We're doing it. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Let's skip down to, to verse 8. They said, tell us on whose account... This evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, man, this guy that's going to Tarshish? What are you doing? What do you do? What's your country? Where do you come from? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Well, not really. <laughs> he doesn't fear God that much, does he? If he headed in the opposite direction. 
He says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Evidently, he fessed up. Then they said to him, what shall we do with you? that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And then the men tried to row back, and it didn't work. Verse 14, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased to you. So they picked Jonah up, they listened to what he said, and what did they do? They hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Jonah was right. Jonah was right. God had caused the sea, to be the way it was that day. And they picked him up and they threw him in the sea. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, today's message is not a debate on the apologetics of whether or not this happened, but I realize there are probably some of you who doubt this happened. And I, I can understand that. It's a ridiculous story, isn't it? I mean, this man gets swallowed up by a fish and he lives to tell about it. And I would just say this, that you can see God's divine hand in every part of this story. I mean, God was the one who caused Jonah to be thrown into the sea. He was the one who caused the storm in the first place, and he was the one that brought the fish along. And I want to say this to you if you're skeptical of this story, that science cannot explain the divine hand of God. But God was at work in Jonah's life. Allow me to explain what I mean it's the turnaround, the third phase of Jonah's life. You see, God will always go to great lengths to guide you towards obedience. God will always go to great lengths to guide you towards obedience. I say guide for a reason. You see, we always view the fish or whale or sea monster or whatever you want to think that it was. I believe it was a fish. We always view this part, please don't miss this, we always view this part of Jonah's life as the great calamity, don't we? Oh my goodness, he was swallowed by a fish. That's awful. This is the most evil, horrible thing that could happen to Jonah. And I promise you, when he was in the belly of that fish, he probably thought the same thing. But, but, this was the divine hand of God. Bringing Jonah back to a place where he could again walk in obedience to God. You see, the fish isn't the great calamity of Jonah's life. The fish is what God used to get him back to the point of obedience. And if we continue to read, we read that in chapter 2 that Jonah in the belly of that fish that he cries out to God. He asks really essentially for forgiveness and for help. And God does a great thing because Jonah was that fish's three-day-old burrito and he hurled him up, vomited him up on a beach on the Mediterranean Sea. And most experts tell us that Jonah looked completely different than he did when he went into the fish. And we'll just end that right there. God was using this fish to bring Jonah back to a place of obedience. It's the turnaround. God will always go to great lengths to guide you to
towards obedience. But I want you to hear this this morning. You don't have to go through the story of the fish. If you will, just obey God now. Because delayed obedience is really disobedience, isn't it? If you will just now, in that area that you and God identified, walk in obedience, you can avoid the story of the fish in your life. Jonah was in there for three days. Take a look at chapter 3, 1 through 5, to kind of find out that next part. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, it the message that I tell you. It's the same thing that God told him the first time. So Jonah arose, and he went this time. He followed in obedience to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out in 40 days, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. He's calling the people to repentance. He's doing what God said. It was his second chance. And the people of Nineveh, verse 5, this is the best part, they believed God. Isn't that awesome? God allowed Jonah to have a second chance to obey God. And I realize there, there are some of you who are here today, and I realize that you think you don't have a second chance. You think you don't have extra time to obey God. And I want to tell you today that you couldn't be further from the truth. God will always give you a second and a third and a fourth chance. And yes, delayed obedience is disobedience, but God will give you a chance again and again and again and again. Don't think that you are out of chances. It's the fourth part of Jonah's story. It's the fulfillment. God gives second chances in terms of our obedience, in terms of obedience. He gives second chances in terms of obedience. We just had a whole message series on that in April and May. God will give you a second chance to obey but the test for us is being able to walk in that obedience. I don't know about you. I would love it if the story ended here. The story of Jonah, in my mind, would be complete if it ended here. I mean, he, he, th think about it for a moment. He disobeyed God. His life was in danger on the ship, right? Then he gets thrown over. His life is in danger in the belly of this fish. God allows the fish to throw up on the, the beach there in the Mediterranean Sea, and God gives Jonah a second chance. And he goes and he does what God says. Are, are you tracking with me? He goes and he does what God says. And God uses this man, Jonah, to change a whole city, the capital city of the Assyrians, these evil people. They change. And there's even historical accounts about the fact that for a period of time, the city of Nineveh, the people of the city of Nineveh, actually did change. They repented. So the story here should end, and it should be miraculous, and we, we should be rejoicing because God used this great guy, and he spared his life. But Jonah's story is a lot like our story because it's pretty raw, and it's pretty real. And in the midst of the great thing that God did through Jonah and in Jonah, 
take a look at Jonah's response in chapter 3, verse 10, in the first part of chapter 4. When God saw what they did, talking about Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. <laughs> and he was, what's that next word? Angry. His response to what God did was anger. Nice move, Jonah. Way to go, buddy. Great example for the rest of us that would come two and 3,000 years later. Thank you, buddy. And he prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He blamed God. I knew you would do this, God. I didn't want to see my enemies repent. I wanted to see them in misery. He says, for I knew, the middle of verse 2, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me that I die than to live. Great ending to the story, right? I mean, Jonah needs a major attitude adjustment, right? He does. He needs, he's, he's lamenting. He's, he's complaining. But I believe this shows the most human part of Jonah's life. And it may be the one that you can connect with the most, and that's the last part, the conflict. You see, when we focus on ourselves, when we focus on us and me and I, we miss the big picture of what God is actually doing around us. Please don't miss that. When we focus on ourselves, we miss the big picture of what God is doing around us. We may even miss what he does incredibly through us to help someone else or to help another group of people when we're focused on us. I want you to hear this this morning. This is, life is not about us. It's not about you, and it's not all about me. It is not all about me. I want you to say that with me on one, two, three, okay? You ready? One, two, three. It's not all about me. And if we can realize that, we will have times in our life where we will be more obedient to what God is calling us to do. We've got to get the focus off of us and realize that there's something that God has for us. And today, if your area of disobedience to what God is telling you to do has to do with your vocation or calling, I understand that because when I was 16 years old, I had a moment in my life where I was called to ministry. I was called to church ministry. And for 10 years, I ran from God because I wanted to pursue things that would gain me wealth. I wanted a job that I could have a great house and the best cars and the membership at this and the membership at that. And God had called me to something else. And for 10 years, I ran in the opposite direction of what God was calling me to do. So if you're here today and that's your story, I understand. And yes, delayed obedience is disobedience, but you can make the decision today to walk in obedience to God. And you can miss the whole story of the fish in your life. You see, we will always have something else. We will always have a Tarshish that gets 
in the way of our Nineveh. And that's what I want to leave you with today. In terms of obedience, you're Tarshish. That thing that you want that's all about you, that's all about your desires and your plans and you, 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 and me, 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 will get in the way of what God has for your life, which is always better than what we think our way is. So my question to you is, what's your Tarsus and what is your Nineveh? Delayed obedience isn't obedience unless you respond to God today. We pray with me this morning. Father God, thank you for the story of this man. God, help us in our spirit not to judge and ridicule and look down upon Jonah because, God, when we're disobedient, when we don't do what you want us to do, whether it's in a small area of our life or whether it's in a huge, massive area of our life, God, we do the same thing. We pay big money to run in the opposite direction of your best for our lives. Help us, help each one of us, Father God, to identify what it is that you want for us in this area that we're struggling with. And God, help us to be confident enough in you and secure enough in you that we reject what we want for our lives. Help us to fall in line with what you desire. And God, give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the ability that can only come from you to run towards obedience. Because delayed obedience is disobedience unless we obey you today. Help us to do that, Father God. Help us to do it now. Help us to do it tomorrow. Help us to do it this week and to stay strong in you. We thank you for the life of Jonah. May we think about him often when we are given the choice between what we want and what you want for our lives. Help us to think of him and factor in these different phases of his life. Thank you so much that you are a God of second chances, that you're a God of the turnaround. And even despite our attitude, you're going to do something great with us. God, go before us this week as we consider these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, as you can see, we've got a lot going on. I want to encourage you to take advantage of some of the, uh, those things that you just saw and that are in your uh, notes and uh, worship folder this morning. Um, most of you who are part of the Hilton Head Island Community Church family, you know Carrie Beck. And uh, Carrie and Bobby and their little boy, Spencer, who's six years old, um, they've been with us for two and a half, almost three years now. And um, Carrie um, really kind of has, over these past few years, uh, helped us by leading our effort in our community. And Carrie, community is our middle name. So uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on in the community. There's going to be some great things coming up this fall. And uh, tell us what's been going on. Um, so this is just a quick update for you on what we're doing in one community. Um, in addition to maintaining our current relationships with uh, some of our community partners, such as Volunteers in Medicine and Sandalwood and Deepwell, we're, we're still assisting them when they need it. Um, we're also getting ready to um, like really dive into two additional projects that um, we'll be talking about over the next couple months with you all. So just and new partnerships. Stay tuned. New partnerships. And new partnerships. Yes. yes. Yep. Just stay tuned. There is stuff working going yep. on. Yes. <laughs> Carrie's done an amazing job. One of the things that I asked her to do, she and her husband Bobby jumped in um, fully when uh, they first came to our church nearly three years ago. And Carrie, you've just done an amazing job being our one community director. And I'm going to ask Bobby to come on up here and Cynthia come on up as well. Um, unfortunately, today we have some sad news because Bobby and Carrie are moving. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I hate this, but we're losing you guys. Y'all tell us a little bit about where you're moving and that kind of thing. Bobby, Bobby, by the way, um, runs sound for us. And so he's jumped in too. And he, he's um, behind the sound booth all the time. And um, so she said in the last service, he doesn't really like to use the mic. He just makes sure it runs. So anyway, so. <laughs> I do all the talking in this household, that's for sure. Tell us where you guys are moving. Um, we are moving back to Virginia. That's where we were. Gosh, I, I mean, I was born and raised in Virginia, but uh, we lived there for 13 years before we came here. And this has been just a great adventure. We've had so much fun here and being a part of this church. Yeah. <laughs> I did not cry the first service. <laughs> in fact, I made fun of my husband for crying. So, <laughs> nice. <laughs> just keeping it honest here. So, um, Anyway, thank you guys so much for well, letting us be a part of, I, of your I just, lives. On behalf of our staff and our elders and our leadership team and myself and Cynthia, um, uh, Carrie, Bobby, we want to thank you so much for what you guys have done. And we have a, a little gift that we want to give you. <laughs> and uh, we have this uh, picture uh, frame. Um, of a bunch of the different um, events that we as a church have been involved in in our community. Clothing Connection, uh, the Food Pantry down part, uh, with our partnership with uh, St. Andrews, United Methodist. Um, the, uh, we had 30 projects in 30 days, and so this is just a little something for you guys, um, for you to remember your time at Hilton Head Island Community Church. And so um, we are so thankful for you guys and so appreciative. And we're going to miss you. Um, I'll be telling you more about how we're going to be doing our community ministry coming up this fall. But would you join me by standing up and um, we want to pray for Carrie and Bobby. Carrie has served in this role that's really a staff role, um, but she didn't get paid. <laughs> and um, so I, I really appreciate these guys and Bobby for all that you did too. So why don't you join me in a word of prayer for them. God, I thank you so much for caring for Bobby and what great friends they are of, um, of Cynthia and myself and God um, also of our church. God, you use them for a tremendous ministry at just the right time, God. 
And I thank you for all the wonderful partnerships that Carrie um, has forged and, and begun. And God, she's laid a great foundation for our future in terms of our community. And she's represented us so well. And I thank you for the uh, efforts that Bobby has made um, helping us with the technical side of things, God, week in and week out. And God, we thank you so much for them. And we pray your blessing on, on Bobby and on Carrie and little Spencer. And God, I pray that you would protect them and guide them in this next season of life down in Bristol, Virginia, up in Bristol, Virginia. We pray this as a church in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen. amen. We're going to miss you guys. Why don't you give them a round of applause? See you, buddy. Love you, man. Well, I just really appreciate all that you guys have done. We're going to miss you, but um, we're praying for you, uh, Bobby and Carrie. And so um, uh, we're glad that we were able to do that this morning. And uh, just to greet them and just let them know that you're going to be praying for them. A couple other things I just want to mention, if as Bobby runs back to the sound booth. <laughs> it never ends, does it, man? Uh, <laughs> I just uh, want to encourage those of you who are part of the Hilton Head Island Community Church family to give on your way out to what God is doing here. And I hope you have a great and safe 4th of July. See you next Sunday, everyone. Have a great week. Another cold night, another